Welcome, or welcome back to the Uncomfortable is OK podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond, and this is a show where I chat with fascinating people who have faced down the uncomfortable. We hear their stories and jump into the strategies they've used for getting uncomfortable on the regular. Over the last couple of weeks, I've appeared as a guest on a couple of other podcasts, the Willosophy podcast with Will Fleming, and It's No Secret with Dr. T, uh, with the host Tyson Franklin. It's been a bit of an interesting and uncomfortable experience being on the other side of the microphone and having questions asked of me. Thankfully, after having over 70 conversations with people on this podcast, I've probably got enough to say to fill up half an hour or so. I'll pop some links in the notes for the show so you guys can check those episodes out if you'd like as well. Being a guest on someone else's podcast to talk about getting uncomfortable has given me a greater appreciation of storytelling. Being able to impart your viewpoint and experience through story is such an important skill but also a really difficult one to master, which makes me appreciate today's guest, Eric Hodgson, even more. A few years ago, Eric went through the trauma of his daughter Zoe's suicide. Thankfully, I've never been placed in a situation like that, and I struggle to comprehend what it must have been like for Eric. It's a tough topic that not many people seem willing to speak about, So I'm grateful that Eric is opening up about his experiences. After going through the grieving process, Eric realized that he needed to find his way back to better days and to help those around him to do the same. That's what this conversation is mainly focused on. Eric's grieving, his pathway back to better days, and living a life where he's thriving again, and how he is helping others to do the same. Suicide is a tough topic, especially here in New Zealand. And if you're thinking about it, or it's anywhere on your radar, then even though it may not seem like it at the moment, know that things are going to get better. Reach out and talk to someone you trust. I've put a list of numbers you can call in New Zealand in the notes for the show, and a quick Google search brings up a raft of contract uh, contacts in other countries too. And please get in touch with Eric or myself as well if you need to talk. For those of you that have been impacted by suicide, it's also going to get better. Listen to Eric's story as he tells us how his life did. In this conversation, Eric and I kick it off by talking about some concepts about getting uncomfortable We were just checking the sound levels, uh, and then the conversation just seemed to evolve from there. Um, So I've I've decided to leave that in, uh, but just be aware that it may not flow exactly like some of the other episodes. I want to say a quick thank you to Traver Boehm for introducing me to Eric. Um, So thanks very much for that, Traver. It's much appreciated. So guys, please share this episode out with people that you think may get value from it. And thank you for getting uncomfortable with Eric and me today.
they had to survive and survival meant that they had to go out and and get uh, food and they had to hunt and they had to live in conditions that you know they didn't have houses and and heating systems or air conditioning and uh, you know common luxuries they had to go out and actually survive as is so it's very interesting how uh, we're just making more convenience around our day-to-day lives and yet if that is that is threatened we are then uncomfortable Mm, mm. And does more convenience mean that we end up living more fulfilled lives? Um, I think you could probably argue that it that yeah. it doesn't particularly. Yeah, it makes right. us more efficient. Um, right, but mm, I don't know if it's always if it's always a good thing. No, I agree with you. I think we have to. Some, you know, growing up now as well, you know, you have the millennials that generation. And the, the, with all the phones, everything's right there at their fingertips. Mm. You know, when I was a kid, I had my parents, I had my teachers, I had my friends, and I had a set of encyclopedias in terms of get my, my information, and maybe 12, 15 channels on the TV. But now yeah. everything is so readily available that there's um, – it's instant gratification, and it's – <laughs> I'm not uncomfortable with getting that information because I know it's right at my fingertips. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. How, how old are you, Eric? Uh, I turn 47 tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, happy birthday for tomorrow. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm 34 next month. So Excellent. I've kind of uh, definitely didn't experience sort of the, the pre-internet age quite as mm. much as you did, but I think we didn't right. get the internet until I was about 15. Um, okay. And then it was dial-up, so you'd kind of yep. go on for <laughs> half an hour and you'd be able to look up one thing. But yeah, right. kind of same, same kind of thing is that I, I have that knowledge of that sort of pre, pre-internet and pre kind of everything mm-hmm. available really quickly um, for yes. you and, and seeing that change and yeah, like looking at people that have that, um, have grown up with, with everything right. being so accessible. Right. You kind of think, hey, these guys, these guys store and process and, information mm. differently and kind of expect that in every right. <clears throat> in every area of their life as well which is mm. yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting concept to to think about and to to talk about and um I mean, it is in new zealand we only had two channels when i was young on the tv <laughs> okay. so <laughs> lots of variety there right <laughs> heaps of variety eh? yeah, yeah i think you could watch um country calendar um, okay. where they go out and talk to farmers in New Zealand or you could watch okay. uh, watch the news and that was about it. Wow. Mm, mm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that this past few months uh, I, I went on a military-style immersion yeah. uh, with a former uh, special forces officer uh, here in the States and I did this down in Florida. This was in January and the the role of the goal of this was to put us in an uncomfortable spot so that we get back to ourselves mm. you know our nature and we were out in nature we were on a 400 acre farm and this property is owned by a gentleman named Gary and Gary is you know 400 acres he doesn't he's self sustaining he's got you know he's got cows he's got dairy he's got you know water he has access he's he's still connected to the outside world but he can sustain himself if need be yeah but we were out there for 36 hours, and when you are in a position of having to build your own uh, bed using just a tarp and parachute string, 
when you have to make your own fire, when you have to uh, stay warm overnight because it's in January and fortunately it wasn't raining. But uh, you you find that it doesn't take long for you to return to how you are initially wired. We're all wired to be connected to nature. And as soon as we pulled on the property, uh, this gentleman's name is Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann. Scott said, turn off your phones. This is, you know, and that was fine. I didn't have a problem with that. But turn off your phones. The next 36 hours is going to be about you connecting back to nature. And I tell you, probably about an hour into it, I wasn't missing the phone. I didn't want to check my I didn't want to check my email. I didn't want to check any text. I didn't want to check social media. I just wanted to focus on what I was starting to take in again after so many years of not taking it in. And you hear things differently. You see things differently. You smell things differently because we are, we're animals, you know, human beings are, are a type of animal, but just getting reconnected to our nature was just an amazing experience. And when it really hit me was staying out overnight and, and, you know, with the tarp, I didn't have the tarp over me. I had the tarp uh, just laying on the ground. So it covered the ground. Uh, waking up every hour, looking up through the tree limbs and seeing the moon at you know various stages as it was crossing the the, the night sky, um, but hearing all the various noises and sounds of the animals, and then waking up at first light with the rest of the world, and hearing things differently than I did the, the morning beforehand when I woke up in a hotel room and air conditioning, and a TV. And it just, I felt so reconnected at that moment. And it just made me realize that at any given point, you can come back to Mother Nature. It will always welcome you back in. And if you let it, and mm. it was just an amazing experience. But we were super uncomfortable. And the gentleman I was with, John, John had never stayed outside. In fact, he was terrified about staying outside. He didn't sleep a wink that night. But when he, the next morning when he woke up, he was so happy that he, got through the night without freaking out, without, he was super, super uncomfortable. Every time I woke up, you know, he was kind of dancing around his fire. I, you know, I don't know what he was doing, doing some rituals. I don't know what he was doing over there. Uh, but uh, he, now what John does is uh, he lives in Dallas. John took off and did a cross country trip in his truck and just camped outside uh, for the entire, every night when he stopped, he didn't go to any hotels. He stayed, it was beautiful thing. And now John has now reopened up his own life and his heart because he got reconnected to his nature too. Mm. Very, very powerful experience for both of us. So yeah, that's, that's really cool actually. And I think, yeah, I was, I've been talking to a couple of people about similar topics lately and it's, Mm. it is, it's fascinating that like we, especially in New Zealand, we're so close to nature. Like I could, I can walk for 10 minutes. I can be in the bush. I can be in the hills Um, from from my house in in Wellington, which I mean, globally, it's not a massive city, but it's a a few, like three or 400,000 people live here. Mm. So it's it's not a, it's not a small place. Um, And I can just, yeah, I can go 10 minutes and I can be in, be in the bush, Mm. but it's often quite an effort that we have to do to kind of make ourselves go and do that mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of uh, noise of society that kind of just keeps us sort of insulated um i was talking to a guy a couple of weeks ago who uh likened us to battery hens that we're okay we kind of just put in this in this cage and often mm-hmm. it's kind of a 
a cage that is sort of mentally constructed around ourselves mm. that hey this is this is what we need to do this is we go and do this every day and we kind of stick to this routine and we don't get out and go and explore and go and do things um yes and that kind of yeah that that really got me thinking actually about hey what decisions am i making about about getting out and going doing mm. things differently getting back to nature and uh kind of going and yeah doing doing things that kind of i wouldn't usually do or people in society now would kind of look at you and go oh, that's a bit weird whereas right 20 years ago it mm. was it was absolutely fine it was quite normal to to do right right wow that's true that's true and i think for for people to to put themselves in situations where they are uncomfortable you were saying this earlier it eventually it starts to not be so uncomfortable, mm. but if it can, if it becomes comfortable again, then that means you need to push a little further, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going to grow inside of our comfort zone in any way, shape or form. And, and, and sometimes these experiences come at us without our, uh, without us saying, okay, it's okay. You might be forced in a situation where you're uncomfortable for a period of time or for whatever reason. And, uh, and I think we're also wired to be able to persevere and push through. Mm. And some some can't, some can't, some get stuck, some stay stuck. They want to stay in survival mode. Uh, but I think when you build resilience in your life and when you build strength, you have to work through your struggles, not go around them or avoid them. Mm, definitely. And I think mm. with, with that as well, it's a... Getting uncomfortable, uh, getting uncomfortable, and building resilience, and building basically that the skills that you can work on, and the skills that you can train. But mm. we've kind of come to the point where we don't actually work on them on a regular basis, right. and then all of a sudden something massive mm -hmm. happens, something like catastrophic. Mm -hmm. And we haven't sort of built up the, our own capability to handle that stuff. Right. And that's where that's where we run into problems is because we mm -hmm. haven't had those kind of small kind of training opportunities to, right. to build that skill. Um, right. It's like if you wouldn't go out and run a marathon if you'd only run 5K beforehand <laughs> um, right. or five mile um, for, right. for, for you guys. Um and it's yeah, it's a, I, I kind of liken that to a similar concept that hey, we can we can work on this discomfort and we can work on kind of getting slightly uncomfortable and pushing our comfort zone. And as we do that, that comfort zone is going to to expand right. slightly. And as right. you say, once what was once uncomfortable for you is then going to be comfortable after you've after you've done it 10 or 15 times yeah, right and then you kind of need to go and take the next step and sort of push push things a little bit further or push in a slightly different direction to to right. kind of continue working on that and continue expanding your, your comfort zone and your and your capabilities absolutely you know you mentioned something a couple of minutes ago and i thought it was uh, it was interesting because i think this is part of the human dynamic uh a paradigm of of when people are hit with something in their life, whether it's health related issues, whether it's uh, losing someone from their life, like I did a few years ago to, uh, you know, getting into a car accident or losing a job. Um, you know, a lot of people aren't prepared to stand back up. Uh, and 
if they can just get back to their comfort zone, find some comfort, then they will uh, find a way to survive right there. And mm. there's nothing that pushes them further than that and actually begin to thrive in life based on that experience. So mm. it's always very, it's always very uh, interesting because it, it just crosses so many areas of our lives that uh, I, I, people need to become resilient in their life. And they need to do it while the sun is shining because, look, inevitably the storm clouds are going to come. But if you can build resilience while, you, while, you know, while the sun is still shining, while, it's still, uh, while you're not in a situation like that, then when something happens to you, you don't get knocked over. You get bumped, mm. you know, and, but you keep going. And and you realize that, yeah, it's, it's, it stinks and it sucks and I have to, uh, I have to you know, deal with it. But you're not burying it to try to uh, get around it or avoid it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I, I think the same way with it. And I think, I mean, it's often kind of when the sun's shining, it's easier not to go and do that stuff. You're like, oh, right, I right. can go and do that right. next time. I'll... I'll sit on the couch, I'll watch some Netflix or uh, <laughs> or do something like that. And nothing wrong with watching Netflix, sure. uh, Netflix judiciously. Right. <laughs> There's some great stuff on there. It's, it's fascinating. Um, yes. But yeah, I think kind of that, that pushing out into, into that discomfort when you're, as you say, when you're, when you're doing well and when you're, um, mm. when the sun is shining so much so much better to prepare you for for mm. those stormy times um yeah which is which is something that um I, as we talked about before something that i i struggled with um mm. and i mean thankfully i i never had sort of any really massive stormy times with it but mm. Hopefully, if if that does happen in the future, the stuff that I'm doing at the moment is kind of preparing myself for for being able right. to sort of be more resilient and, and deal with those mm. deal with those times a little bit uh, a little Absolutely. bit better. Um, right, mate. Um, I, I've actually been kind of I, I hit record on this um, just to kind of oh, test sure. what the audio levels were, but actually, like the last ten minutes of the conversation has been fascinating, and I think it would be quite awesome. cool for people to listen to if you were yeah, if you're happy yeah. for me to include that. Um, Absolutely, Eric. Can you tell me and the listeners a little bit of background about yourself? So where you where you grew up, where you're from? Were there any kind of formative experiences in your younger years that have shaped you as a person now? Yeah, I grew up in on the coast of Maine here in the States. And my father was a, uh, a Navy pilot and my mom more of a homemaker at the time. And I had the capacity to explore uh, the woods that were that surrounded my neighborhood. And I used to go out into the woods and get lost often, but on purpose so that I could find my way through and it wasn't something that I was afraid. I was actually exploring and finding things. There were blueberry bushes out there. There were blackberry and raspberry bushes out there. Um, there were white pine trees everywhere. And I would spend just hours exploring. And uh, But as I started to grow up, I would see that the developer that owned the land would come in and kind of clear the land out and uh, you know, section at a time. And less and less we had areas to explore in. Um, and by the time I reached 17, 18, uh, 
the most of that woods had been replaced with streets and then by homes. Mm. But after uh, after high school, I went to school in northern Maine and got a technical degree in computer science and started working in the area of information technology. And uh, I've been in IT now for the last 25 years. Um, I was married back in late 90s and uh, got divorced in 2005. And uh, I had uh, one daughter, Zoe, and uh, two stepchildren, Christos and Arminda. And, uh, um, and really, since the divorce, it was more about just making sure that we were okay, you know, that we were we were getting back to ourselves uh, and living uh, a life past this, you know, past the divorce. Mm. Um, I want to I want to come back to the come back to the divorce and and everything that's happened from there, Eric. But one yes. thing that um, struck me as as you were chatting is that you when you went went out into the woods, you said you yes. uh, got lost on purpose. Yes. Was that something that you kind of did straight uh, straight away, or did you mm. find yourself lost one day and then just had to kind of deal with it? No, that's a great question. I, I feel like uh, I would get lost on purpose knowing that within a matter of five to ten minutes, I could find one of the pathways that was there. Okay. So it was more about kind of getting off the beaten path and, and just doing some ex- exploration outside of the, you know, just taking the path from start to finish. I just found that it was more exhilarating to see things from a different angle than it would be to just stay uh, on the path. Mm. And what sort of age were you when you, when you remembered doing that? Eight, nine, 10 in those years. Uh, you know, sometimes it was with friends. Sometimes it was just by myself. Um, I enjoyed it. I didn't feel uh, uncomfortable necessarily uh inside of those woods but uh it it helped me to develop some independence Mm. i believe and and knowing that look if i went off the beaten path nothing was going to happen to me uh from a a safety perspective as long as i didn't do something stupid (laughs) yeah yeah so but uh it was uh very uh they were just always unique experiences uh seeing something new for the first time uh, even though I'd walked past it on the path many, many times before that. Mm, yeah, and often kind of going off the path, you see things from a different angle and you you get right. a different perspective on it. Did doing stuff like that, did that shape your kind of some of the decisions and how you approached other things in your life as well? I believe so. Uh, it became uh, the start of problem-solving skills. Uh you know, when when you're presented with something that isn't the normal that you're used to, uh, you have to develop ways of of finding your way back to the solution or way to the to the end. And uh, I, without even knowing I was doing that, uh, whenever problems came at me, I would approach them with the same mindset that okay, I'm not on the normal path here. Something has gone wrong. I need to find a way from where I am to the end, to the end result. And I think that that helped me tremendously as I was growing up. Mm, mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. You, what one part of your wording there is I'm not on the normal path. Something has gone mm. wrong. 
mm-hmm. has it gone wrong or has it actually gone right that you've gone ah. deviated away from that normal path? Right. No, that's a great, uh, that's a great point. You know, it, 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 it I think the universe kind of leads us in, in, in our direction, whether we want to go in that direction or not. And, uh, I, and I think it can be scary sometimes to not be on the path. It, 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 uh, it, it, uh, you know, something may happen, something may be blocking the path. Then what do you do? Do you just turn around and go back or do you actually find a way to overcome that obstacle? And, uh, you know, even though I'm talking about this metaphorically, at some of those times, those things happen, you know, in, in reality. So uh, I think uh, being able to figure out solutions to the problems that, that block your path uh, is, is pretty important. It is. It is. Um, Eric, why don't we, why don't we jump, jump forward again to, to your yeah. divorce and, uh, and kind yes. of the things that subsequently happened from there. And then we yes. can talk more around kind of finding your, finding your pathway after that as well. So, yeah. um, obviously going through the, going through the divorce was, um, a, a, it's a pretty challenging time and it's a pretty tough mm. time for, for yourself, but also, yes. um, for the, for the kids as well. Right. Um, right. I was I was hoping that uh, you could kind of talk about how how you dealt with it, but also um, then talk about your your daughter uh, Zoe, yes, and, and what happened there. Sure, in, in uh, a way that kind of makes makes sense for you. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, the divorce was was pretty difficult uh, because it was something that I had not been exposed to before. This was. Um, a, uh, it was un, <laughs> uncharted territory, but from an emotional perspective. Um, I didn't have many coping skills. I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't understand why the marriage was breaking down. At the time, I didn't understand it. And, and yet, I still fent, felt a sense of connection uh, you know, to the family unit. Um, so I think with a few years of, of great therapy, and working through these things on my own, uh, which is what a great therapist does, they don't do the work for you. They give you these nuggets for you to process and, and you figure it out as you go. Um, you know, things start to emerge in your life. You start to build up that resilience in your life that, that's, that helps you uh, realize that, okay, look, this really bad thing happened, but it's not the end of your life. It's, it's, it could potentially be the beginning of something even better. Mm. And so that built up inside of me after a few years of, of, and some people heal quicker from a divorce. Some people, uh, may not, they may harbor some, some, uh, bad, uh, feelings about uh, the marriage, uh, that they, that didn't last or the relationship that didn't last. But, um, a few years ago, I was stuck in a custody battle for Zoe uh, she was 15 at the time, and uh, she was having a really difficult time uh, with this. You know, being a 14-year-old, 15-year-old, um, it's already difficult anyway, but add family stress and, and some other uh, internal struggles, she was really having a hard time. So much so that she was living in a halfway house, and she could come home and see us on weekends. And this one particular weekend, I picked up Zoe, brought her back to the house. She was upstairs in her room listening to some music playing her ukulele, uh, burning some jasmine incense and applying this really cool henna tattoo with a sun design on her hand. 
I went up and asked Zoe if she wanted to make some kale chips, and she said, sure. Afterwards, we were cleaning up, and uh, she said she was tired. I said, I love you, pumpkins. And she said, I love you too, Dad. And she gave me a big hug and went upstairs, and I went back to my computer to do some work. And a little while later, I went upstairs to say goodnight. And when I opened her bedroom door, I could hear Jonathan Frusciante's guitar playing on the stereo. A string of Christmas lights was lit around the perimeter of her room, but she wasn't in her bed. And in the dim light, I could see that she was standing in her closet. And I thought she was going to jump out and scare me. And I said, Zoe, what are you doing? And she didn't answer me because she wasn't standing in her closet. I called 911. About five days later, over 900 people came to Zoe's wake. 900. Her friend Kelly came up to me. And she was just sobbing. And all I could do was put my arm around her and say, it's going to be okay, sweetie, because Zoe wants you to remember all of those good times that you had together, right? And another friend, Sarah, came up to me. And she said, I am so sorry, Mr. Hodgson. Zoe was so nice to me. And she was always smiling. I don't get it. And I said, I know, sweetie, I don't get it either. But it's going to be okay because Zoe would want you to remember all of those good times that you had together, right? And as more and more people came up to share stories of Zoe with me and to tell me how much that she inspired, impacted, and gave them hope and to tell me that they were sorry for my loss, I was sorry for their loss because I knew what we were all going to be missing. You know, her smile, her energy, her mad ukulele skills, you know, her, her beautiful voice. And honestly, her philosophy of life to just be. But it took me many months before I felt somewhat normal. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating. I wasn't uh, exercising. And I just wasn't myself. And it took a really long time for it to sink in that Zoe would be so pissed off with me if she knew that I was letting all those good memories from her life stop me from living mine. Yeah. Eric, thank you so much for um, for sharing that. I mean, it's for, mm. for myself and for, I'm sure a lot of other people that are listening, it's really hard mm. to, hard to fathom mm. that, but yes. it's a, um, it, it's a, a reality in the, in the world mm. that we live in. I mean, New Zealand is a, it's a, a place where there is, there is a lot of, of youth suicide, um, a lot of youth uh, suicide o- overall as well. So there, I'm sure there, right. are, there are a lot of people out there that have, have been in that situation that mm. you, you found yourself, uh, uh, unfortunately in at that, at right. the time with Zoe following, following that, where was, yes. where was your head at for the next couple of months? How did you, you know, how did you respond? Uh, I, the questions started. The questions are typically the first thing because about two weeks after we laid Zoe to rest, um, the house empties out, and now you're left to thinking about you know what's what's next. I thought my purpose was to raise Zoe. Now what's next? Um, you know, did I do enough for her? Is she okay? How do I move on from this? Um, you know, how do I go back to work? All these questions started to come up. And it took some processing uh, in terms of, you know, and not they all didn't come up at once. But when they did come up, 
I wanted to really think about what it was that I had to do to step back into who Eric is um, and, and, you know, forgive myself and forgive Zoe and forgive um, other things in my life so that now gratitude could step in and, and dissolve some of the grief away. And so I think the very first few months was really about just answering some of the questions and, and going through the grieving process. Mm. Yeah. How did, how did you go about answering them? Did you, was it just yourself or were you talking to other people around this or what was, what approach did you take? I think that, well, the, the, when the questions came up, I would, I would be processing it in a, um, in a way that made sense to where I was in my grieving process. Um, like for example, I think one of the first questions that that came up was like, "What do I? What's next? What do I do now?" Because I thought my purpose was to raise Zoe, uh, and I think it became pretty clear that uh, it was my job to fight for myself and my family and all of Zoe's friends to find their pathway back to better days, and and that's what I started to focus on. It wasn't about me; it was about others. Because when, when you help other people, it actually comes back to you and you feel better about that. And that uh, I, there was nothing I could do about Zoe, even though I was missing her so very much. Um, and I, that was, I was dealing with my own in, emotions with that. But her friends especially, like, what, what, what's, what is this? What, what happened? You know, and, and I would just meet them where they are. I get it. I know this sucks. But we're in this together, but we're going to get through it together. So I think going through those processes, and, and they had some of the same questions I had, uh, but differently. You know, for them, it wasn't how am I going to get back to work. It's like, how am I going to get back to school? You know, and what if somebody tells me that I should be over this by now? You know, the thing, they, those were some of the questions that they were fielding. And we would talk often. And we would usually end up the conversation was, look, we're in this together, but we're going to get through it together because there are better days ahead for us. I can guarantee you that. Mm. And did you find that was, that was helpful for you to, to work through things by helping, helping Zoe's friends to work through theirs as well? Yes, absolutely. Um, I felt, (laughs) I felt like a dad again in a lot of ways. Um, and collectively all of her friends remind me of Zoe. It's like, she's left a little piece of them, of her inside of them. And that just fills my heart when I can talk to one of Zoe's friends and they trust me with something that they're struggling with. So, and, uh, it's, uh, and I'm still very much connected to these kids three and a half years later. And some of them are still struggling now, but I'm, I'm real with them. And I asked them, what would Zoe say to you right now if you were doing this? And they would laugh and they, they'd say, she'd be telling me to cut the crap out, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, yes. So stop, you know? And, and But I, I think for that, that's where the gratitude started to come in too, uh, Chris, you know, in terms of in, I became grateful for what is in my life and that allowed me to then share that with other people 
uh, and the gratitude was that, look, her friends were still around. And so it really made a huge difference in, in, uh, in, in my life and, and hopefully theirs as well. And I believe that it did make an impact with them. Mm. Mm. That's, that's pretty powerful as well. Um, Eric, I mean, you, we talked a little bit before about, about finding your, your pathway back. Yes. And you, I mean, you you kind of touched on the on the start of it as is working with with Zoe's friends and mm. uh, and kind of coming to the real realization of, hey, what would what would Zoe say to me now if mm-hmm. if she saw me like this? Yeah. From that from that beginning, mm. where did that pathway take you? How did you how did you kind of work work into that and that's a, a great question. Um, I thought I was doing pretty well in my healing process, um, but I was kind of stuck in some areas. Um, I think around uh, some of it was more forgiveness of myself uh, a year later after Zoe had died, and, and it manifested itself in my daily drive home from the train station. Uh, it's a two mile drive from the train station to my house and, uh, I would get in my car and I would drive about one mile down the road and I would get really upset and start crying and I would cry until I got back to the house here. And then that was going on for a while. I was kind of stuck in this routine and I was always asking Zoe, uh, you know, I was telling her, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, you know, I wish I could have done more. And then one day when I got into my car at the train station, I just lost it. I just lost it. And I, now I had a two mile drive feeling like this. And, and then it, it felt like as if Zoe was sitting in the chair next to me in the car, I heard her voice. So dad, you cut it out. I'm okay. Jeez. You know, and, and it, and it kind of snapped me out of that mindset that I needed to forgive myself. And, so as as you're you know as you're working through these these difficult times, um, you have to give yourself a break. You know we we are we do the best we can with what we have, but I think as long as we're we're finding uh, a uh, or at least knowing that there is going to be better days ahead, that there are times in our life when it's going to be super uncomfortable dealing with some of this the you know the heartache and the challenges that come our way. Uh, like you and I were talking about earlier, the storm clouds, they're coming. But, you know, are you going to be prepared to work through those times and or at least accept that they're here and work through them? Yeah. How how easy was it for you to um, kind of understand and contemplate that there were going to be better days ahead of you at that point in time? I think that I, it wasn't easy, although I just – Maybe. The, the analogy that I gave my therapist uh, very soon after Zoe died was, you know, we were talking about the divorce and how di- how I felt so down after the divorce and if this was going to be a repeat after losing Zoe. And, and I thought about it for a split second and I said to her, you know what? I felt like that pit, that pit of despair was the size of an ant hole and I can't fit down in it. So I'm not going down in there. And I let that kind of be my guide light uh, of, of 
of looking at it from a, um, a, a mental or visual perspective in my head to say, yeah, I, I, okay, I, I'm not going to go down there because it's, I can't fit in there. So I have to keep pressing forward. Mm, yeah, that's, uh, I, I completely see that, that analogy. Um, mm. I think it's a, yeah, it's, it, it's an interesting, it's a cool mental picture to, to think mm. about actually. Um, Eric, we we ter- talked a little bit um, a little bit before about um, kind of going into going into survival mode um, mm. after after an, uh, something like this happening, um, right? And you uh, you need that space to kind of decompress and, and process right. and, and spend spend the time grieving um, as mm. well. When, once something like this is as has happened, um, right? And I, I think you've you've touched on kind of how, um, the sort of the process of hey this is I, I know that this is kind of when that survival mode needs to needs to finish up and I need right. to start getting back and um, reengaging and, and uh, working working on myself for my for right. myself in this in this process and um, and finding that finding my my pathway back with things and i'm mm-hmm. i'm sure that's uh even three and a half year, years later i'm sure that's still kind of a, a pathway that you're that you're still on um yeah and it's probably going to be a pathway that just continues for for the rest of your life as as well mm. um, right at the moment now you're you're working on helping others to yes. Uh, find find their pathway back from from something like that or a, a traumatic experience happening for right. them. Um, right. When mm. did you when did you kind of shift from thinking that hey I, I'm, I'm helping helping myself I'm helping Zoe's friends with, yes. with this process to I can I can help a lot more people with this. Uh, yeah, about two years ago, I was introduced to. Uh, a gentleman uh, named Bo Eason. And Bo uh, lives in LA. Bo is a former NFL professional uh, football player who uh, then wrote and performed his one man's personal story uh, in a Broadway show that went 1,200 runs uh, all in 50 states over about a 10 year period of time. And uh, Bo then transitioned from that stage work to teaching people how to tell their story. And uh, I was at an event where Bo was speaking. And what struck me was that when he told us one story of of when he was nine years old and wanting to become uh, a professional football player and the struggles that he had, uh, I w- you're just dialed right into the story. You're connected to it. You're placing yourself inside of the story in certain areas based on what he's telling you and, uh, and showing you, you know, when through the story work. And then he made an offer for us to come work with him further and learn how to tell our story. And I tell you, when a light went on that this would be an, an epic way for me to share Zoe with other people in a way of healing uh, I jumped at the I jumped at the offer. I I ran. I was, <laughs> I was just running back to the back of the theater. You know, how do I sign up? What do I do? And 
from that moment on, a few months later, uh, I actually went to Bo's event and learned how to write and tell uh, my story. The one I shared with you a few minutes ago uh, was the work that I initially did with Bo. And it was very well received, not from a place of, oh, poor Eric, but, you know, I, I, I want to tell people that it's okay to stand back up again. Um, you know, after I had that moment of, uh, you know, where, uh, you know, Zoe would be pissed off if I, you know, wasn't living my life, uh, you know, I started to see kind of Zoe all around me, uh, in terms of uh, maybe it was, uh, her color hair that she had. Maybe it was a pair of, of, uh, Converse Chuck T's that I would see, or, or even a song that she would sing on the radio, um, in Greek, the name Zoe means life. And I believe that the greatest gift that Zoe ever gave me was that we have to kind of raise our frequency to see the beauty in life. But when it knocks us down, we get back up every time. And uh, so that that is where I feel as though, um, you know, when I started to, to get my hands around how to how to share Zoe with people in a way of healing, that's when I wanted to be about others. Mm. And how has how has sharing that story helped you on your journey? When you tell stories, it actually heals the brain. Uh, you're you're bringing both sides of your brain together. They're they're getting stronger. They're uh, you're you're resolving through verbalizing uh, your story, and. I know that I've said that story uh, hundreds of times already, but it's the it's. I know that it it's uh, it's healing my brain and telling uh, other people because I believe that when their eyes light up with like, well, if Eric's feeling better, maybe I can feel better. Yeah. So I think by sharing that with them. Uh, that's my goal is to, to help people <laughs> find their pathway back to better days by sharing as much of Zoe as I can. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, for, for people that are, are telling their stories, I mean, from, from what it sounds like with you, Eric, it's not just about telling that story once. Mm. Um, you'll, you'll get some healing from telling it once, but the more you tell it, the, the mm. more you heal and, and in different ways, I'm sure. Would that be correct? Right. Yes, yes. And what you find is that it's not just one story that emerges, but many. Mm-hmm. You know, as each, each story uh, has a conflict of some sort, but it has a resolution to it as well. And when you have that resolution, that's where there's a little bit of a hero's journey that emerges in your life that you've gone through the belly of the beast and you've come out changed for the better. And now you've got lessons to teach other people. Uh, and when you, when you tell that story, yes, well, the, the stories about Zoe, how yes. has it, how's it helped other people that you've seen so far or that you've heard so far? I think that it's helped people to reconnect with their kids uh, parents, for example, to connect with their kids. I think it's helped kids to realize that in life, things may not go the way we want it to go, but 
but regardless of anything that does come your way, you have to fight to keep going, that you can't give up. And I think those messages are, are key for younger adults and young kids who are struggling. Um, I mean, I think kids that are anywhere from 15 to 25, your brain isn't fully developed yet. And younger kids and teens, um, you know, they think they think in the, you know, the next hour ahead. They don't think the next day or week or month. It's what's going on right now in my life that I'm dealing with and 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 kind of helping kids to realize that, look, what you're feeling right now is not permanent and it will pass. Just give it some time and talk to people, connect with people. Um, and and I share stories with Zoe's friends and they love hearing about her and funny ways and other ways that are just they love that. And. It, it helps them to kind of see where they can place themselves in those stories too. Hmm. So it's helpful for them too. What I'm, what I'm getting from that is that it's, it's those, those stories help people through those, through those tough times and, and allow right. them to kind of sit in those, in those hard times. Yes. With some, um, with, with optimism that, Hey, Mm. we've we've had these good times they they're gonna come right. they're gonna come again right with it right and i think you yes. um you mentioned um actually when we were kind of talking about what we were what we we're going to talk about in this part a an interesting thing about a, a facebook group that you've that you've joined yes. um called uh in around um cheryl cheryl sandberg's option b was it Yes. Can you can you tell the listeners a bit a little bit about that and kind of what you what you noticed there with with sharing mm. your story and maybe actually a little bit of background about what it is first. Yeah, yeah. So Cheryl Sandberg is the uh, COO of Facebook and about 2 years ago she lost her husband Dave while they were on vacation in Cancun, Mexico. Uh, and when she st- collected herself after this tragic loss of her husband whom she was deeply in love with, uh, she started to realize that she was also trying to answer those some similar questions along her uh, grief process. But she wanted to help other people by providing a platform for them to also get some support and cope with their grief. So she started writing a book which uh, with the same title, Option B, that was published in April of this year. And subsequently, she created several groups uh, on Facebook around uh, uh, facing adversity. And it's not just grief and loss. There's, uh, uh, there's divorce. There's uh, physical injury. There's uh, you know, drug abuse. All these groups that where adversity can come into your life. And uh, I saw that she had created these groups uh through an uh, on an elevator display (laughs) at work and uh i decided to join and there were about 200 people at the time when i joined in in late april and now uh there's over 12,000 people uh spread out amongst all of the groups and uh what i found is that inside the grief and loss group the coping with grief and loss was that people were struggling with a uh you know being stuck being stuck in their grief you know, this stinks, this stinks. You know, I've missed my, you know, my, my son died or my, my father died or my mother died. And, and I don't, I don't think I'm ever going to feel better again. Or how can I move on from this? And it was important to me to help introduce what I'm calling positive disruptors 
into these discussions um, uh, that and, and these posts that that people were making. And it could have been just a question about their loved one that they lost. You know, what what was one of the best things about that person that you really loved? And and then, oh, well, he, you know, he used to tell me that I, you know, I was chicky poo or whatever nickname that they would give, you know, or, you know, what uh, what was the what was the funniest thing that person ever did for you? And, oh, well, it, it, it he used to make me laugh because he told the same joke over again. It was the worst joke, but it used to crack me up and him up. So, right. So these these types of uh, mindset shifts in the thinking are ways to kind of get out of that rut. And I believe that once you start to have the mindset shift, now you can start to function with intention in your life, start to go and do the things that that make your heart sing. And and then it's I think after that, once you're starting to do those things that make your heart sing, you can then move into establishing some core values and for energy and direction to kind of help pull you through that. But that's kind of the work that I'm doing right now inside of option B is uh, helping people with their mindset shifts, you know, finding things for them to function with intention and, uh, and then, you know, let's establish some consistency and, and some direction here so that you stay on that, that, that trajectory of coming out of the grief and not just get stuck in survival mode. With that, obviously consistency is, mm. is super important with that because I'm assuming that if you, if you stop being consistent with, as you say, those, those positive disruptors to, to trigger mm. that mindset shift, right. that it's really easy to just kind of revert back into survival mode. Um, right. And... I don't know if I have a question from that one, actually. <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting from that, Chris, is that about two weeks ago, I wanted I was curious. Uh, I ran a poll in that group, in the grief and loss group, and asked five things. Uh, I asked one question, knowing that you're in your grieving process, where would you say you are right now? And I, I gave them five options that they're just entering the grief process. They're well into their grieving process. They're stuck in grief. They're surviving with better days or they're thriving in life again. What shocked me was that 63% of the people that did take that poll were just surviving. 24% of the people were stuck in grief or beginning the grieving process or well into it. And only 13% of the people were thriving. And that just showed me that, that, that a lot of, uh, it's so easy to kind of get to a certain point in your healing process. Where like this is good enough. I don't want to do anymore. Cause if I think about this, it's going to hurt. And I've, I've already gone through enough pain and, and, and I'm, I'm really still upset and sad and angry about all of this. So I'm just going to park it right here, but you're not truly living at that point. You know, you're, you're not mm -hmm. thriving. You're just surviving. And that's supposed to be just a temporary spot for you. And all of us, we weren't designed to be surviving in that way. We were designed to live our life and, and to uh, go and do the things that make us and make our hearts sing. Because I think at that point, we're also honoring the ones that we've lost. You know, some of the things that I would do would be traveling and, 
And when, when Zoe was younger, we used to go to the beach a lot over here on the coast of Massachusetts. And inevitably, when we came back, I'd have a you know, trunk full of rocks, you know, that we would collect because there's just a ton of rocks on this beach. And after Zoe died, I went to uh, I would start to travel for some of this story work that I've been doing. And it would take me to California. It would take me to Texas. It would take me to Florida. It would take me to uh, Arizona, um, Arkansas. And I what I would do is I would find a rock from that location and I would bring it back with me and I would put it up in her room. And and as just like a as a say, hey, Zoe, you know, this is and I tell Zoe a story about, you know, where I found the rock and where it was from. And I'm running out of room right now because I've been able to and I've been grateful that I've been able to travel like this because I'm seeing things with my two eyes that I'm going to share with Zoe when we when we are reconnected. And I just think it's a it's a wonderful thing. So but I think the bigger piece of that of uh, is is, uh, you know, doing some visualized meditation and reconnecting with Zoe that way. And I realize that that's not for everybody. Hmm. Uh, but the, the, the visualized meditations have been so powerful and, uh, I've just been so grateful to, to, I feel like create new memories with Zoe again in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Where did you, where did you come across the visualized meditation? Was that something that you'd, you'd always done or is that something that you have picked up recently? Um, you know, I did not know how to meditate beforehand. I couldn't calm my mind. And uh, about four months after Zoe died, I was just I was missing her so much. And I just wanted to connect with her. I had just I had just gone back to work full time. And uh, there's one of those days when I was thinking about her, but the stress of the job was just kind of coming in on me. And I left a little bit early. I told my boss I had to go. And I got on the commuter rail train from Boston back to my house, which is about a 45 minute ride. And I just wanted to connect with Zoe so bad. So I closed my eyes and just said, okay, just find the most relaxing place you could possibly think of and let yourself feel that space. And, and what appeared in my mind's eye was a high elevation lake. And I allowed myself to look to my left and to my right and up and down and to take in the details. The sky was it was dusk and the sky was the deep blue fading into the pink fading into the yellow of the sun which is behind the mountain across the other side of the lake and the lake is like like a sheet of glass but zoe always uh, at least in this case in this this very first meditation she approached me from the left and she was wearing a dress with the same color scheme as the sky and I just said, oh, there you are. And I said, are you okay? That was the first thing I said. And she said, dad, I am more than okay. Oh, thank God. You know, all these, I kept on asking her more questions and every question just kind of relaxed me even more, even more. And then one of the last things she said to me, she said, dad, you can come here at any time because I'm always going to be here. And it doesn't matter how much time goes by. And I have had probably about 15 to 20 very visual meditations with her. And, and each time she's shown me something that was pertinent to my life or a lesson that I needed to learn. And sometimes they weren't great lessons and they were difficult, definitely uncomfortable trying to you know figure out what she was trying to show me. 
um, more so to try to figure out what to do about it. <laughs> but it's been such a powerful experience that I'm I'm just so grateful that I've been able to reconnect with her, I think, in this light. Mm. Yeah, that's that's very, very powerful, Eric. Um and it, it's great that you you have found that and that and and you can do that and and kind mm-hmm. of have that have that experience or have those experiences and obviously yeah. that's a super important part of of your healing process with it as well, which yeah. is which is very cool. Um, yes. One other one other question oh question slash comment that I, I I just wanted to to have with you um, is that. Um, the the poll that you created, I'm jumping back here a little bit. The, yeah, the people yeah. that are sort of stuck in grief, and I think it's, mm. um, I think often we we get to the point where we've just kind of had enough of of dealing with the the hurt, and we just sort of we put it aside and we and we kind of uh, block it. And and as you say, we never get back to that point where we're where we're thriving and where we're mm. of, um, living living with intention. Right, and I think part of that is because that these these topics obviously are, are hard to talk about on an individual right. level because they're painful and because they they bring things up for us, but also on mm-hmm. a societal level, they're, they're something that we we don't particularly talk about as a society right. anymore. Um, right, and um, it, it was something. I mean, death death is all all around us, and it's something right. that that is a natural. A natural part of the world and a natural part of um, kind of the, the next step from from living, um, right? And we've we've kind of moved away from from talking talking about that. And, and I think I, I want to say thank you for for sharing your story with with me and oh, the listeners you. today as well for 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 talking about that and uh, and, and your experiences around it. But I was just wondering. And what your what your thoughts were around that about the the fact that we have moved away from from telling these these hard mm. stories um, and kind of how we can how we can do better with making f- people feel um, comfortable is the ro- probably the wrong word but allowing people the opportunity to tell these tell these stories and mm. gain gain healing from that. Right. Now, I th- and so I think story is a key way. Uh, learning how to tell, write and tell your story in, in, the, in, the, in the service of others is healing for yourself. Um, but even from an individual perspective, uh, I was doing a little bit of research uh, for a book that I'm uh, finishing up here pretty soon that talks about how tribes uh, many hundreds of years ago uh, tribes and and other clans, um, death was just another ritual, or another rite of passage in life. But the difference was was that people dealt with it together as a clan, as a tribe. So yes, it was difficult for the 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 family that was dealing with this loss, but because it was all done together, and until the process was was fully uh, 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 dealt with. They had connection today in our society and around the world. It feels as though we're kind of left to our own devices to try to figure things out. And you're right. People don't talk about this because it hurts. But 
the human condition is that we're all going to lose somebody in our lifetime. And, but we're all wired the same way too. Meaning we all think about how, uh, uh, you know, we all process grief. It not, it's like a fingerprint. There's a lot of similarities, but not each one is the same. Um, in, 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 uh, May of this year on mother's day, the day before mother's day, I posted a quick two and a half minute video in option B, uh, about, you know, look, tomorrow's going to be a tough day. If you're a mom or you're a mother figure or you're missing a mother figure, um, instead of staying in bed with the curtains drawn, get your feet on the ground, go out and do something in the honor of the person that you loved and, or that you love and create a new memory for that day so that the next time another holiday comes along, you have that mindset that you can now go do something fun for yourself because it's okay to smile again. And later that day, I got a personal note from Cheryl thanking me for helping her on Mother's Day. And what really just kind of blew up in my mind was that, okay, so Cheryl's like the sixth most powerful businesswoman in the world right now. And yet she is dealing with grief the same way I do, meaning I'm going to go through the same feelings. She has the same feelings. It's the same as somebody who is, um, uh, you know, who is an electrician or uh, a librarian or a, a store clerk. It doesn't matter. We all we're all wired the same way. So we that means that collectively we can help each other through this process of 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 grief. And together we can help build resilience. And I think a key way to start doing that is through telling story and in and the service of others. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for sharing the, your thoughts with that. That's, uh, it's yeah. yeah, very, very cool. Um, Eric, um, I have a couple of questions that I, I like to ask everyone towards the end of the chat, but, um, sure. While, while we're kind of just sitting here at the moment, can you, uh, tell people, um, who uh, ha- have found this con- conversation interesting where they can connect with you or for people that are sort of looking for uh, for some help with this maybe how they could um, how they could yeah oh. come and you could you could help them out can you let us know about that sure so I, I just launched a new website it's uh, erichodgden.com and uh, the spelling might be a little funky, but I'm sure that we can. <laughs> I'll put some <laughs> links sure to there. it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, and and secondarily, so that website's going to have some free resources, uh, you know, blog posts, and some quick snippets for people to kind of, you know, maybe get some idea of how to work through a specific uh, struggle that they're having, maybe a specific question that they have. Uh, and then secondarily, I'm just finishing up a book that I'm writing. Uh, aptly titled a Sherpa named Zoe and uh, it's due to be published on November 18th. Uh, it's available right now for pre-order in Amazon um, but this has been a labor of love over the last year and I call it a labor of love because as I've been writing more stories have unfolded about my when I was growing up and um, things with Zoe that I didn't know about that I've learned through talking with some of her friends and and just how how powerful this kid this kid's soul really is, and I'm grateful that I'm her dad. So I I want to honor her in the best way that I can by helping other people, uh, because that's what she, I'm continuing Zoe's work. That's what she used to do. This she was just no she just did it on a different level, 
um, when she was hospitalized, she used to play her ukulele for some of the kids that were having struggling and it calmed them down. But even though she wasn't at a hundred percent herself, she knew that this was the right thing to be doing. So I, I, I'm so proud of her for that. And I'm proud of her in general because she's my daughter, but yeah. Mm. Cool. And I'll put some, I'll put some links, uh, to, to those. Um, I'm, I'm definitely going to go out and pre-order that, uh, that book after the, after Thank our conversation. You. Um, Thank you. Eric, what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and how did you get through it? <laughs> uh, you know, we've been talking about the story work that I started doing a couple of years ago. Um, when I was introduced to Bo Eason and some others in the group, um, this was also very new. And just about two weeks ago, uh, Bo asked me to speak in front of our larger group uh, on his stage. And it was so I was so uncomfortable because I just really wanted to make sure that I was coming in as Zoe's dad and not some programmatic being trying to remember what I was going to say next. And so the way I got through it was that I had to kind of step back and breathe and say to myself, I have time and, and realize that these people were there to support me. They weren't there to judge me. And I think kind of just resetting my own expectations of myself helped tremendously. And I was still uncomfortable talking in front of this group because I wanted to make that impact with them. And, and the theme was that, you know, death may take your loved one's life, but it doesn't have to take yours. And that if you're in survival mode, um, you know, that's, you know, the best in the world don't just survive. Uh, they, they thrive. Mm. Mm. Eric, what's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do? And why is that uncomfortable for you? Uh, I am leaving corporate America in two weeks. I have decided to end my IT career of 25 years and pursue uh, helping others in this realm. And it's, <laughs> it's very uncomfortable because it's, uh, it's completely stepping off from a consistent, comfortable salary that I know I can earn and doing something that's completely uh, foreign to me in a lot of ways. Congratulations. That, <laughs> Thank you. That is absolutely awesome. And um, I'm sure that, uh, again, you're, you're going to thrive in that situation um, mm. based, based on, on the person that you are and, uh, and uh, the conversation that you, we've had today, but also the, yeah. the stories and, and the help that you've given to other people as well. Thank you. And we've we've talked a lot about this already, uh, Eric. But I'm just wondering, do you have any other strategies that you use for approaching uncomfortable situations to to help yourself deal with them? Yeah, there's a couple. Um, I think the first one is that we have to embrace the suck for a while. You know that it, that's things on the other side of our struggles is where the living really happens, you know, and if we try to go around the struggle, uh, or avoid it instead of living through it and working through it, we're not going to get the same benefit on the other side. So there's no shortcuts. You know, the obstacle is the path. And, uh, I think the other thing is that 
we have to realize that surviving in life um, is is okay, but it's supposed to be just temporary. But thriving should be the goal. Mm. Yeah, I think the the great great strategies. Um, Eric, I've got one more question for you, but I, I yes. just want to say thank you so much for for sharing your time with me today. It's been it's mm. been amazing to connect and have a chat with you, but also mm. thank you so much for for sharing your story and for sharing your experiences. And yes, obviously that they're, they're helping you to to heal as you as you share them, but the helping other people to heal as well and and often kind of kickstarting them on that that healing process as well which is which is important and i think as we as we talked about before you're giving people the opportunity to to share their their story mm-hmm. as well and and by having this this conversation around such a difficult topic so thank mm-hmm. you so much for that thank you thank you for uh, taking the time today to speak with me as well and to let me share my story with you and your audience. And uh, it's my goal to always make an impact with as many people as I can and and, uh, and help where I can. Yeah. Oh, that's been, my purpose now. You know, yeah. that's my purpose now. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure. Um, my yes. last question Thanks. for you today, Eric, is do you have a challenge to leave me and the listeners with? Yeah, Um uh, that the challenge would be to find one thing today that you're grateful for. Just one thing. It doesn't have to be anything major. It could be you're grateful for Taco Tuesday. It could be that you're grateful for your your pets. It could be that you're grateful for uh, what is in your life. But write down one thing uh, every day, just one thing that you're grateful for, and you will start to see within a short period of time things start to shift in your life. Mm. I think that's a, that's a great challenge. And uh, I hope everyone that everyone picks it up, but also everyone kind of lets me and Eric know how they go with it and, yeah. and what they are grateful for. Um, I'd, I'd love to hear, and I'm sure Eric would as well. Yes. But Eric, thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. <laughs> thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate it. There you have it, guys. I hope you took something away from the conversation that Eric and I had today. I know I took a whole lot of notes, um, and I'm really appreciative of Eric for trusting me to to help get his story and his message out there, uh, because it is such a powerful one. I really like his uh, challenge around gratitude. I find for me that it's really easy just to kind of get wrapped up in, in the day-to-day stuff and almost get a little bit overwhelmed at times. So it's good for me to to stop and take a few minutes just to, to sit down and have a little bit of a think about what I'm grateful for. Um, and just, I mean, doing doing that now after going through and editing this audio and, and having a having a kind of an hour and a bit to, to really think about things... Um, I'm really grateful for all the people that I get to speak with on the podcast. Um, I've I've managed to talk to some amazing people, uh, and I'm consistently surprised and grateful that the people that I reach out to to have a chat with um, give up an hour of their time and, and give up their story to me and and answer these questions. Um, I'm very grateful for that. I'm grateful for you guys for listening in as well. Um, 
I'd probably do the same thing if uh, if no one listened. Um, but it's it's always nice to have a little bit of external validation with it. Uh, and also it's a, probably a little bit easier to uh, get people to come and talk to me if I actually have listeners to the show. So uh, very grateful for you guys for, for taking the time to, to spend with me as I, as I have these conversations with people. And as well, I'm, I'm very grateful for everyone that's helped me out uh, along this this process as well. And I mean, there's over 70 episodes out now. This is number this is number 74, and there's been a couple of bonus episodes as well. So I couldn't have done it by myself. Um, so thank you to everyone that has helped out with with the show in in any way. Um, I'd love to hear what you guys are grateful for. You can send me a message on, on Facebook or on Instagram, uh, at Uncomfortable is OK. Tweet at me, uh, Chris Desmond NZ on Twitter, or flick me an email, uncomfortableisok at gmail.com. If you want to support the show, if you like what you hear um, and you feel that it's valuable, the easiest way that you can do that is subscribe to the show. Uh, on your favorite podcast app, it means that you get the episodes coming to you every uh, every week that we put them out every Tuesday in New Zealand and uh, Monday in some other places overseas. While you're doing that, leave a review. Uh, it helps the podcast become more visible, helps more people listen to it uh, and, and get messages like Eric's out a little bit more. Another way that you can help out is just by sharing it out with your mates on social media or, or uh, just in, in person, even even old-fashioned. Write down the website. Give it to someone. That's my challenge to you for this week. Uh, or you can support the show on Patreon. Uh, if you go to www.patreon.com slash uncomfortable is okay, uh, you get a little bit of extra access to uh, some of the stuff for the Patreon community over there. But again, thank you guys for spending some time with Eric and I today. Thank you very much for getting uncomfortable with us. And we'll see you again next week. Thank you.